Before we jump into the episode, we have a request. We want to hear from you. For our very special Home for the Holidays episode in a couple of weeks, we need your help. What classic St. Louis foods do you have to have when you're home? Where's your must stop and why? A roast beef from Lion's Choice? A pork steak at your grandma's house? Or maybe St. Louis isn't home. Where do you go? What do you eat? And what makes this time of year taste so special for you? What's the best holiday memory you have around the table? We want to hear all about it. So here's what you need to do. You're going to want to call the official Abby Eats St. Louis show hotline. Here's that number, 314-532-6012. Again, it's 314-532-6012. Leave us a voicemail and then listen for your stories in a future episode. We can't wait to hear from you. Okay, showtime. The year was 1621. The colonists from Plymouth and members of the Wampanoag tribe gathered for a feast like none other. A man named Edward Winslow wrote about it in a letter to a friend. Our harvest being gotten in, our governors sent four men on fowling, that so we might after a special manner rejoice together, after we gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as, with a little help aside, served the company almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms, many of the Indians coming amongst us, and among the rest their greatest king, Massasoit, with some ninety men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And then they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. That governor he mentions is William Bradford. His writings at the time also describe the feast. He says, besides waterfowl, there was a great store of wild turkeys, of which they took many, besides venison, etc. Besides, they had a peck a meal a week to a person, or now, since harvest, Indian corn to that proportion. In other words, they had a ton of Indian corn and a ton of birds and venison, deer. It became known as the First Thanksgiving, a celebration that would be replicated around harvest time in different colonies and states for 200 years before Abraham Lincoln finally declared it a national holiday. Turkey has remained the centerpiece on the table, venison replaced with stuffing and casseroles, corn alongside cranberry sauce and candied yams. Around the table, it's still about giving thanks. Instead of the celebration of a good harvest and cultures coming together though, it's often become a celebration of football all day, avoiding political conversations with your great uncle and mapping out your Black Friday shopping plans. Well, that's the story the haters want you to believe. But today on Abbey Eats St. Louis, we're giving thanks for some of the folks who are going out of their way to make Thanksgiving great again. A woman who opens her home to complete strangers for a good meal welcomes us in, and she shares her tips for being the host with the most, too. The food is incredible, and you know the food is going to be incredible, but it's really the connection between people that you make. And we learn how one man in one kitchen plans to feed 10,000 people this Thanksgiving. I'm doing my little part this day to make the greater St. Louis area better, even if it's only for one hour that day. Gobble, gobble, people. It's time to talk turkey.
Janice Seely has a really pretty house. Driving along the relatively hilly parts of Old Webster Groves to get there, I go slowly so I can look at all of them. But Janice's place? It's a nice home among nice homes. It's more than 100 years old. It has character. And the inside is an explosion of colors and artwork and personality. It's like a dollhouse. I love it. And Janice tells me she and her husband were drawn to this house for a very specific reason. We bought our house basically because it had the biggest dining room that we found. And we love to gather people in the dining room. Um, we invite friends over for dinner quite often. Um, we do. We love to have receptions um, for different groups that we're um, involved with. And we just love having people over. I think sharing your home with people is a wonderful way to get to know them. Sometimes that's dinner parties with groups of friends or people she's gotten to know through her involvement in various philanthropies and clubs. But when she learned about the needs of a group of people with whom she has very little in common, Janice was hungry to help. Syrian refugees fleeing their war-torn country in the Middle East, only to wind up in bug-infested and unwelcoming apartment communities in St. Louis. So we, we bought a home in a good school district that we could then rent to a family of refugees at a price at which they could afford to live there. That's right. Janice and her husband bought a house for a family. My jaw dropped, too. It's in Richmond Heights, and that's how she got involved with the group Welcome Neighbor, centered all around helping the refugees who've left everything they know to bring their families to safety, some winding up here in the St. Louis area. We moved we moved them in, and I got a call from somebody asking, you know, who I was and what I was doing. That. First of all, <laughs> how did this person know about me? How did right. they know that we bought this house? And it turned out it was a Welcome Neighbor volunteer who had been working with this family and wanted to check me out to make sure that we were legit. <laughs> and That's awesome, though. <laughs> which is amazing. Yes. So it was great because the refugees had so many needs, um, and I didn't know how, how the system worked to help them as much as I would like. So I linked up with Welcome Neighbor because they had already been working on so many different um, aspects of integrating the refugees into the community, and I found them to be a huge, huge help with that. Besides helping refugees find safe places to stay and equipping them with the basic necessities, Welcome Neighbor hosts Syrian supper clubs, one of the points of which is to help these families meet others and make friends and build real community in their new home. Janice still lights up describing the first time she hosted one of these dinners. And it was phenomenal. We cleared out the living room, cleared out the dining room, set up huge tables um, and had two dozen people here for a Syrian feast. And wow. it was a feast. The um, I can't even tell you how many different dishes were prepared. There were so many uh, dishes prepared that finally at the end people were going, we can't eat anymore. <laughs> this is delicious. <laughs> how good did your house smell? It smelled phenomenal. Oh, my goodness. It smelled phenomenal. It's like you it want great. to just keep that and bottle it up and be able to yeah. smell all the time. That's amazing. And yeah. so that sounds in some ways, though, a little stressful to invite so many people into your home and to have this kind of unfamiliar territory for them and a little bit for you because you're kind of navigating are they going to like everything is everything going to taste good all the time is this going to be something that bridges the culture gap I mean how do you overcome the anxiety that a lot of people might feel about having a big supper party like that um you know 
I'm 60 years old now. And when I was younger, I would stress about that. But now I just figure the moment people come in, uh, start to meet each other and gather that it's, the food is incredible. And you know the food is going to be incredible, but it's really the connection between people that you make. And as long as you invite people that you like, that you think are interesting, they will get to meet each other and it will be okay. It'll all work out. As we sat down to talk, Janice was making plans for her next dinner party. The day after Thanksgiving, hosting Syrian families for a holiday celebration. So we're going to have not turkey, but chicken pot pie, because I know the kids will eat that. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of desserts. The kids love anything with chocolate chips and um, cookie decorating, etc. So, yeah, we'll have them here. Janice, what are you thankful for this year? Um, probably what everybody's thankful for. Thankful for my family. Thankful for my friends. Thank you for thankful for all the opportunities that we have here. Um, and we have many. And yeah. again, in in getting to know the refugee families more thankful for, for that than ever um we take all of our blessings for for granted yeah because we've already always had them um but we are uh every one of them every one of us is um remarkably privileged yes just to live here with the freedoms that we have um and living in safety um without the threat of war on our own ground um we are remarkably blessed and we need to share that. The Syrians who have come, the refugees that have come from all over, are remarkably resilient. They are th- so thankful just to be here in a safe place where their children can be safe. They are very gracious. What little they have, they are extremely eager to share with other people. Um, so I've learned a lot about that. You don't have to have a lot to share what you do have. It's a American holiday that doesn't that crosses the religious barriers and the beliefs and things like that. It's everybody here celebrates Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and people can connect over Thanksgiving. But it's an American holiday. And so when you're talking about it to immigrants and refugee families, how do you explain the importance of Thanksgiving to some of the families you've gotten to know? Well, you know, giving thanks is important in all the cultures. We just happen to name one day for it, but everybody appreciates the the need for everybody to express thanks, um, including thanks to one to one another. So, um, it, it's not a difficult concept for most people. We just have a holiday to celebrate it. Do the refugees you know? tend to embrace the idea of Thanksgiving? Do they like Thanksgiving? Do they, what do they think about maybe some of the traditional food options? Uh, some of the traditional food options, they uh, need to get used to. Some of our spices yeah. are different. I know that mm-hmm. um, uh, what we consider, you know, the w- traditional pumpkin pie spices mm-hmm. aren't always a favorite. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Maybe with some Which families. America's gone crazy for I that know, now. We have pumpkin spice everything. Right. Um, but in general, um, you know, and especially, I mean, when I talk about this, generally children, you know, children don't like to really embrace new foods. Right. So um, some of the foods they love and others not so much, just as, you know, our own children, right. as they're introduced to other cultures' foods, love some, not so much 
with some of the others. So do you have any kind of hostess tips for breaking the ice, especially for people you don't know that well who are in your home? Uh, just welcome them, sit them down, get them something to eat and drink right away. And, and food is huge. Yes, food is where it's at. That's yeah. what brings people together. Yeah. Do you find it's a lot easier to entertain once the meal has kind of gotten going? Um, once people have a glass of wine or a cup of coffee <laughs> in, their, in their hand, they're generally pretty comfortable. Um, but yeah, once people are sitting down at the table and just talking and sharing, particularly if you're sharing plates together, passing to each other, um, the conversation really gets rolling. Janice says she's a better hostess than she is a guest. She likes to be able to invite people into her space. When you're on home turf, she says it's easier to make the first move in a conversation. She likes setting the tone, and she encourages any of us to fill all the seats at the table this Thanksgiving because, well, why not? It makes the whole experience more meaningful. Um, having... When you think about all the preparation that goes into Thanksgiving, do you really want a little tiny group to to share it? No. <laughs> you want as many people to take part in that as, as you can. And one thing about inviting additional people for Thanksgiving, um, it is one meal where people will always ask, what can I bring? And if you tell them to bring something that is important to their family, they're going to come very willingly and bring something um, that maybe you haven't tried before and that's really special for them. Yeah. And trying somebody else's family specialty um, is really important. Uh, years ago, uh, we had somebody who brought their family's special sauerkraut, sauerkraut casserole. And we were, okay, you know, that sounds great. And my husband <laughs> and I were like, what in the world oh, is a sauerkraut? My cat? mom's from Poland, and that sounds foreign to me. <laughs> it was phenomenal. My children have asked for that recipe. So, I mean, just just wow. being open to other family favorites is, um, is a really fun way to try some new dishes. Yeah. Thank you for calling Brass Rail and O'Fallon. This is Scott. Can I help you? Scott Ellinger is happy to embrace new traditions. For him, Thanksgiving wasn't bad growing up, but it was no Syrian supper club. My Thanksgiving was a lot of TV trays and football. Um, yeah, my sisters and I, uh, it was traditional, you know, the turkey and whatever. My mom hated cooking, um, so it was not glamorous, but, you know, we, we did all right. We're going to start the 12 to twos in about 15 minutes. These days, he has no time for sitting and watching football or even sitting at all. He's on his feet before the sun comes up, prepping meals at his O'Fallon, Missouri restaurant, The Brass Rail. Eight years this coming February, um, I will have been here. So the restaurant was here for about 20 months before I bought it as The Brass Rail. Uh, I bought it and couldn't afford a new sign, so I kept the name. <laughs> um, and it has been a whirlwind. We've expanded six times since we bought it. We're kind of a classic American steakhouse. Um, middle of the road, kind of not as fancy, white tablecloth kind of steakhouse. We're sort of a neighborhood cheers kind of thing, but we try to do everything from scratch and really high-end food. Uh, and we're just having a blast doing it. Great wine list, fantastic martini list. We have been voted one of America's best bourbon bars. We've got an incredible selection of bourbon um, and just a great team of people that run it for us. He may not have picked it, but now the name, The Brass Rail, is synonymous with Thanksgiving. Six years ago, he decided they were going to not only feed people on Thanksgiving, they were going to do it for free. 
Uh, and the first year we did about 100 people. Uh, and it was such a tremendous experience that we decided to keep going. And we've gone from 100 to 1,000 to 3,000 to 7,000 to 10,000 uh, last year. And we'll do 10,000 again this year. 10,000 people. Your draw dropped again? Think about that. 10,000 people in one day for free, no questions asked. Scott's psyched about it, but never expected it to get this big. Absolutely not. I mean, it was when I first talked about it and trying to do a thousand that second year, my managers were like, you're out of your mind. And, and now a thousand seems like it, you know, it's an afterthought. We would be able to do it without even thinking about it. The logistics that go into putting 10,000 meals out of here in six hours, because we'll try and do it between 10 o'clock and four o'clock in the afternoon is crazy. Tell me about some of those list logistics. We plan for the whole year. I mean, we literally have our planning meeting for 2020 scheduled Thanksgiving night this year so that we are, you know, it's fresh in our mind, the, the things that we tripped over and can get better. So we'll do a planning meeting after we shut down the restaurant on Thanksgiving day and clean it. The leadership team will sit down and start planning for 2020. Wow. And it goes the whole year. I mean, we have to order there's so much protein. We have to order turkeys in advance. We have to order food in advance. So it's not like waiting to the last minute and then trying to organize 700 delivery drivers and a thousand volunteer prep cooks from ages four to 84, probably <laughs> um, most of whom have never worked in a restaurant before. So we've got people, you know, that have been back year after year. They're now in charge um, that, come once a year and they're only here on Thanksgiving week and we might not see them. We've got people that come from 50, 60 miles away to volunteer. I remember last year you were even fulfilling orders for pretty far away for some certain people. We'll go 60 miles in any direction. So we are in O'Fallon, Missouri, but we've got orders going to O'Fallon, Illinois. We've got Washington, Missouri. Um, we're meeting someone halfway from Carbondale. Um, so yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. The whole operation is pretty efficient these days. Scott and his team are logistical wizards. But that's not to say they haven't flubbed along the way. This is the first couple of years when we were still figuring out how to do this, it was physically and emotionally uh, exhausting. Yeah. Um, now we have so many people that have been here three, four, five years that it's gotten much easier because we've got volunteers that know what's going on. So they come in and it's... And you know, literally like, I got this. You go do something else, I'll run this part. The first couple of years, it was two of us running the whole deal. And we were cooking everything from scratch to order. Uh, and the last year that we did from scratch to order was 3,000 people that day. And, and I went home that night. I was like, okay, we got to figure something else out for next year because this is really, really hard. And the restaurant's not very busy or not very big, excuse me. So we only have so much cooking space and we're trying to cook, you know, a thousand pounds of turkey in, in a, one oven. I'm like, this is not going to work. <laughs> um, so we've streamlined the process a great deal since then. Yeah. So tell me about how it looks now. What's the process for somebody who's being fed from the brass rail on Thanksgiving? So now we've got it figured out where we can serve around 3,000 meals an hour um, through the packing process. So I call it the ant farm. Um, but it's just a queue that looks very similar to a roller coaster. 
and people are given a bag and there's a number on the bag and that's how many people they're packing for. And there's charts on the wall that say if you're packing for four people, you're supposed to take this much of each item and each item is set up in its own individual station. So people just walk through the queue, grab containers, pack the bag, go through uh, a door into the next room where the proteins are. There's numbers on all of the protein containers and they match those up with the number on the bag and they match up dessert with the number on the bag and they go out the back door and there's a limitless line of cars of people waiting to take those orders and then they go around and come back in the front door and get another bag and just keep going. And that circle never ends for eight hours. The Brass Rail doesn't do traditional marketing or advertising. So Scott says he uses the money he saved to make this happen. His big goal for 2020 is to get others to the table too. It'd be amazing to have other restaurant owners step in and and get a chance to experience the the feeling of doing this. Even if it's you know if if each restaurant, each of ten new places adopted ten families and did it the next year, there's another hundred hundred families that we might not reach this year. Why do you want to celebrate Thanksgiving with so many people? It's the biggest non-religious holiday, so everyone qualifies. Like Christmas excludes people and Easter excludes people and there's other holidays that exclude people. Thanksgiving, nobody cares. It's not a religious holiday. It's, a, it's you know, everyone celebrates it in some way. Not, I, should, I probably shouldn't say everyone, but. It's an American holiday. It's like sure. a universally accepted American holiday. You don't have to subscribe to certain beliefs to celebrate it. Yeah, and I don't think it offends most people. Um, <laughs> so. And it's one of the two days a year that we're closed. Yeah. My family's not from Missouri. Um, I moved out to St. Louis 13 years ago or 14 years ago. And this community has just embraced this restaurant. So I feel very fortunate to be able to do it. Um, so I give back what I can. And, and this year, we're going to give back 10,000 meals. Scott knows exactly how many pounds of turkey he needs and when to start cooking the homemade cranberry sauce and how many takeout boxes he needs to order. But when I ask him what it feels like to see his restaurant on Thanksgiving Day, he has a hard time coming up with the answer. It's really hard to describe except for on that day. But it is like just total joy. The people that we're feeding are happy. The people that are helping, I think, are even happier. Everyone is in a great mood. It's just we've been blessed with perfect weather every year. It's like 70 degrees, 60 degrees and sunny. Last year, it snowed the week before Thanksgiving, and then the snow melted, and we had a beautiful day. And so it's just everyone's in a wonderful mood. Nobody's stressed out. Nobody's angry at their cruddy job that day or upset with their their spouse or mad at their kids. Everyone's just here for the same reason, and it's to help people that need it. And so it's a really cool feeling of community and I'm doing my little part this day to make the greater St. Louis area better, even if it's only for one hour that day. In the news and media business, holidays can be hard. I remember working far from home on Thanksgiving for the first time and it was really tough. I missed my family. I had plans to FaceTime them after working my shift at the TV station, but it wasn't going to be the same. This is the story for a lot of people out there. I had so many blessings to count, but it was hard to think of them in an empty apartment. But one more blessing was coming my way. My best high school friend's grandparents happened to live in the same town where I was working. 
and so they invited me to come celebrate Thanksgiving with them. I had a place to go, and I'll never forget that. Over the holiday season, it's easy to get blinded by the lights and wrapped up in our own usual traditions. But this year, look around. Who do you know who doesn't have a place to go? Invite them over. Who do you not know who might otherwise spend the day hungry? Donate your time, your talents, your food, your restaurant. And we'll see this Thanksgiving how much we really, truly have to be thankful for. St. Louis is a Five on Your Side production. I'm Abby Larico, host, writer, stuffing lover. Fabulous executive producer is Miss Dory Olmos, a mashed potato connoisseur. Our history tidbits came from the History Channel Online and the Smithsonian Magazine. Special thanks to Candace Coleman and Jessica at Welcome Neighbor. You can get involved with that group, by the way, by checking them out on Facebook. Please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. We slide right into your feed every week and follow us on Instagram. We're at Abby Eats St. Louis. Have an amazing holiday weekend, and as always, seize the plate.